welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. This morning, we, I want to share with you uh, the gospel for us, good news in a bad news world, how the gospel changes everything. And we're going to look, uh, first of all, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, and I'll, I'll just read uh, a couple of the verses that are there, verse number 10. This is the night that the angels declared to the shepherds that There was good news. Been 400 years of silence of God speaking to his people. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is that God has another story for you and for me another story than what is the prevailing narrative of this world that we live in. It's a story that Paul wrote about and he referenced in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I'll, this won't come up on the screen, but I'll read it. Paul said, Now God, God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His own good plan. I want, if we don't, Get anything else from today's message is this, that God has a will to fulfill His own good plan for this world. It is a different story, a good news story, than what is being written. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. I'm glad that God is at work, how about you, to will and to work for His own good pleasure. God has set and is setting things in motion that will not be stopped according to His will and purposes Praise the Lord. Praise God. The first thing I want to share with you, first of all, before we do that, I I want to share today, this is a message on the whole Bible. So I'm going to preach the whole Bible to you. So that means we'll finish up maybe like 9 o'clock tonight or something. No, I'm I'm well aware of of the time. But sometimes we read God's Word and We read it because there's a promise that we find for us, and thank God for the promises of the Lord, that they're true and they apply to us. But yet there's a a story to the Bible that runs through all 66 chapters, all 39 authors spanning 1,600 years, and they did not have contact with each other. The majority of them did not have contact with each other. But there's one story that runs true through all of that. And it's sort of a four-part story with many 
many subplots and chapters that are, that are part of this. But that's this, is that God created this world and He loves His creation. The second is that humanity or mankind fell away from God. They chose to exchange selfish reasons, selfish pursuits for God's love and will and purposes for them. The third thing is third thing is that when they fell it set into it affected everything, but the third piece of good news is this that the angels said to the shepherds that God has a plan. He always has a plan. And that's that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to re-enter history and to begin, begin a, a new order to call people to himself, that he would offer salvation and rescue to us, and that ultimately one day he would make all things right. And that's the fourth point, is that one day in God's narrative for this world or God's plan and will, is that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and and all of creation will be made according to his plan in the very first place where God dwells with us, praise his name. Can someone say amen? Yeah. The first thing I want to share with you, and and we'll read some of the scriptures, but not all of them, but Ray, you can put them up. God created a world that he loves. I want you to know that God loves this world, His creation. Genesis 1, 1 1-2 says this, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed man, Adam or Adam, of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now some of us grew up in churches where where you'd have thought that that the main theme song out of the old hymnal was Hold the Fort for I Am Coming. Um, Don't, that the world was our enemy. That everyone outside of the church was an enemy, and our job was to remain as pure as possible so that we wouldn't be contaminated, and yet it threw us into a terrible tension because we were supposed to witness of the love and the saving power of Jesus Christ to people that we didn't like. Am I alone in this? Has anyone had that experience? And so the theme song literally, or could be, hold the fort for I am coming. Just hold it until until he comes back. Bertram Russell, who was a well-known atheist, said this, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. That's why it means so much that when the Scripture declares, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there's a purpose There's a plan that God has. He created the world and everything in it, and He called it good. And in your your program notes, there's things that you can fill in. God called the world good. Everything has been made by God for God. Albert Einstein said that God doesn't play dice. 
How many of you are, are glad for that? God just doesn't whew, throw things out there in the universe and he's, it's a crapshoot and whatever rolls up, rolls up. God has created you and me and this world and everything that is in it and he's not playing dice. But it means, according to God's word, that there's a cosmic purpose for this world and for God's creation, that mankind is the apex or the crown of what of God's creation. We've been made in His image. So we have the same emotions and the same feelings. And so you read in the Scripture that God is love and God is kind and God is generous and He has wrath and He's, he's angry and He's righteous and, and, and He has a heart. And He's put those same things in us because we're made in His image. He has a purpose for us, and uh, sometimes people say, well, wh- why did God make this earth? I, I, well, he's made us for his pleasure. When my wife and I decided to start a family, and, and we ultimately had four children, we never sat down and looked each other deeply in the eyes and said, why do we want to have a family? Thank goodness it wasn't quite that you know what I'm saying. We wanted our house to be filled with kids and joy and laughter and make a family that it would extend. And God created this world. He called it good. He created mankind. And He said that we're created in, in His image so that we would take care of, of His work. He gave us a purpose and a mission and to multiply His ways. And we're to guard. Adam and Eve were to guard the Garden of Eden. They were to guard that, and, and they were to till the soil. They were to name the plants, and they were, they were part and parcel of what God was doing in His creation. But he, and He created mankind to live forever. Created in His image to live forever. They were a living being, and, they gave, and He gave them a home. Every person here has a, is a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a soul with a body. This body, one day, this tent, will be taken down. The inhabitant of that tent is designed to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And he gave them a home. God gave Adam and Eve a home. And that was called Eden. And he gave them a purpose for life. And in that home, there was, there was fellowship, and there was love, and there was communication, there was contact. They weren't alone. Have you ever gone home after a hard day's work, and all you just wanted to get home? You just wanted to be home, and in my case, I, I'm looking forward to see my wife and maybe, maybe one of our children or maybe some of the grandchildren are there. I'm just looking forward to it, and I can hardly wait, and I'm coming up 24 and I take the left on Plumtree Road and I get down and, and I count the numbers and, and even before I see the house, I hit the garage door opener because I know it'll be open and I'm going to slide right in. I'm going to hit the fishing bobber suspended from the ceiling that tells me when to stop. I get out, I turn out the engine, I go inside and I'm ready for What's going on in the house? Because I am home. It's a wonderful feeling. But when you expect that and you go in that home and the lights are out and you call and no one's there, it, it's just the most empty feeling that you could ever imagine. God gave 
Adam and Eve a home, and he called it Eden. God's Spirit, it was true then and it's true today. He brings life out of chaos and darkness. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why God's Word says that in the book of Colossians that everything has been created through Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. And He is the agent of creation. All things belong to Him. And He is here. I want to assure you today that the same Spirit that breathed on the earth that was without form and void on the face of those waters and He brought life and chaos, that God's Spirit is here today. He loves you. You're His creation, His image. He wants to breathe on your life and bring order and chaos and life and give you a home. Can someone say amen? That's His purpose. The second thing, though, is the fall of man. Genesis 2, 15 and 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. as part of his purpose. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may not eat. You may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Uh, that, that what I read was uh, broken up between two different chapters. God loved mankind and his creation, but mankind treats God shabbily. No respect. It's amazing. No respect, shabbily. Um, one of our... Uh, one of our grandchildren, John, John John, lives across the street. And I so appreciate his, our son-in-law, Jay, and our daughter, Megan. They get ready to go. Last night, they, uh, John John and Jay were watching some of the Oriole game with me. And finally, they left. And, but he says, give your papa a hug. Give your papa a hug. And... Um, about 8.30 or so at nighttime, he gets ravenous. And uh, I said, John, what do, you, what do you want to eat? You know, how many feel like your restaurant, your menu? No, I don't want that. Do you want, no, I don't want that. You know, it's like, but anyway, he's, he's my grandson. And so I go through the whole deal. Finally, I don't, I got him something. And I fixed it, prepared it out, and I gave it to him. And his dad says, tell your papa thanks. So he said, oh, yeah, thanks. Now, I don't know how really grateful he was, but I go by the, the rule that everything that's external will one day become internal if you keep after it long enough. So, but what Jay is doing, he's reinforcing that the person of that house that's provided there's respect and love. 
Mankind's response to God was to treat him shabbily. Adam neglected his responsibilities towards God and his wife. There was a lack of leadership. In prayer this morning, someone said maybe it's because he was so absorbed in his work. Men can get that way, you know. How many know that? So absorbed in what God gave him to do. You say, Pastor, what do you mean he neglected Eve? You read the account of the formation. You read Genesis chapter 2 where God created man and gave him sort of the rules of the garden. He said, you may eat of everything freely except the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the day that you do, you will surely die. He said that to Adam. Eve was formed after that statement to Adam. And what leadership is all about is about influence. And even in the New Testament, one of the marks for leadership in the household of faith is that Leadership must have the ability to influence their household for good and for God. Somewhere along the line, Adam, I believe, neglected his responsibility towards his wife because, remember, they were pure and pristine and they knew no sin and they'd never been tempted before and I know with my own wife and so many of the good women of Grace Assembly, as I watch your lives and just your character and who you are, if your husband and if a husband and wife would sit down and say, look, we just really, we can't do this. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about if you go shopping, only spend X amount. Uh, I don't even, with, my wife goes to Talbot's on sale. I don't even set any, I don't set any figure. How many know guys that smart? I don't, I have nothing to say except it really looks good. That's all I have to say. Well, she asked my opinion. But what I'm getting at is this. If we sat down and said, this is, this would be our death. If we do this, I would bet my life that Chris Dross would not go away from me and behind my back and do the very thing that I said we shouldn't do. Somehow Adam neglected his responsibility towards his wife. He received the instruction, not Eve. And the Bible says that what made things even worse, that that when the serpent in the garden came, or the snake in the garden, you could call it. There's a book, Snake in the Garden, Snake in the Grass. Came and seduced her with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, which, by the way, is what all sins fall under today. After she ate it and she gave it to Adam, he didn't say, what did you do? He ate it too. And then when God called him into account, he blamed his wife treated God shabbily. The result of that is that God's Word tells us that the result of that, that sin, evil, and death were introduced to the world and mankind lost their true home. They lost their home. They were expelled from the garden, from fellowship and purpose and presence, and they exchanged God's family and love for selfishness and pride and the 
the desire for self was magnified and continues to this day. And when you couple that, couple that with the spiritual cataracts that formed on humanity's eyes as a result of that, it produced and is producing to say disastrous results. Someone has said this, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. My dad's been a long-term pastor. He's no longer lead pastor. He's, he'll be 88 years old in just a, a, a few short weeks. i never forget. He tells it like this. He said, and he references a salad bar. And by the way, my dad cannot stand salad bars. He's always afraid some personal piece from an individual that has DNA in it will fall into the macaroni salad. And anyone, you know what I'm talking about. And they have those shields. You want to know how effective they are just going, people bump up against them and they still put their hands in there. Like, stop that. And he said, so anyway, he said one day a guy went to the salad bar and he had a mustache. He leaned over and, and he got some Lindberger cheese in his mustache. And he said, this place stinks. I'm not going to eat here. So he went next door and he said, this place stinks. I'm not eating here. I'm going to buy my own food. He went in the grocery store. He said, it stinks. Every place stinks. And it was really him. A lot of times, we've got Limburger in our own mustache. We don't see things the way they are. We see things the way that we are. Result of the fall, spiritual cataracts. I'm, I'm dealing not dealing or, I don't want to use that in a harsh term, but uh, a pastor right now that, that, that is uh, from a, a country that's a third world country is a different culture than my culture. He's a person of color. He's not of the dominant culture. And there's something that he has to do and he can preach and he's articulate but he says, I can't do that because of the color of my skin. That's not God's plan, but that comes from the fall. Where one race makes another race feel inferior because it's to the dominant culture's advantage to do a power play. That's not in God's plan. But they became under the, under the curse and ever, and ever since that time, because of that, the snake in the garden, listen to this, the snake in the garden became the lion of sin that crouched at every person's door. Read Genesis 4. Cain. God said to Cain, he said, Cain, Cain, sin is crouched at your door like a lion and it is waiting to devour you. But the good news is, Jesus Christ came to bring salvation. Can someone say amen? Amen. It's really good news. John 3.16, would you repeat it with me? Say, for God so loved the world. Just say that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's good news of great joy to all the people. When we were kids, uh, we used to sing in our little church, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. It is a salvation. It's a rescue for everybody because we have all been made in the image of God. And God only has one image. There's no superior image and no inferior image. There's only one image. Genesis 14, we read, we read the story, and you can read Genesis 14, 14, and it was where um, Abraham's son, or uh, nephew Lot, Lot was, Lot was uh, decided for some reason to pitch his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked, wicked, a wicked city. Wicked. Wicked. You read the account of what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, my goodness. And he pitched his tent, and before you knew it, he was living there with his family and his daughters. And then one day, four or five kings in, in that tribal society they called them kings. They could be the head of a tribe or they could be the mayor of a city. They called them kings. Four or five of them got together against Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and they had an alliance with others. And as a result of that, Sodom and Gomorrah got, got their tail beat. And, and they captured Lot and they took him off with his household and all of his goods. Genesis 14, 14 is, is a picture, paints a picture for us, and it said, and, and, and someone escaped at night and came to Abraham and said, do you know what happened to your nephew Lot? They've taken him. The enemies got him. They've taken his family. They've got all of his possessions. And the Bible says, when Abraham heard this, when Abraham heard this, he gathered 318 servants, men servants, and he said, let's go get them, boys. He was bound. He was bound by honor and patriarchal law as the kinsman. He was going after them. And he would take 318 and he'd rescue one and Sure enough, he went and he did battle, and they rescued Lot. The Bible says they took, he got Lot, and he got his household, and he brought him back to Abraham's house and his goods. And it's a picture of what Jesus Christ did when he came to die on the cross. You and I are members of the families of, of God, even when we're estranged and far from God. God loves this world. He loves the people of this world. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for you and for me. He sent Him back to rescue and to save and to bring us back home. Relationship and family and presence with God and restoration of purpose and a future. 
His death and His resurrection provide salvation from the penalty of sin and entrance into our true home, God's family. Jesus Christ alone is a powerful Savior. Can someone say amen? He is the restorer and the reconciler of all things. I want to read to you, and you can, you can follow along, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 7 to 17. This is talking about Christ the Savior. By the way, there is no other Scripture on earth. None. Not the Bhagavad Gita, which I've read. How many are familiar with the Bhagavad Gita? Anyway, I can't even pronounce it anymore. It's Hindu. Not the Koran, which I've not read. Just part of it. There's no other Scripture that has a narrative of God's love for mankind. It goes either to the left where man is God, or God goes to the right where all we do is either tick God off, or something's going to bad is going to happen to us. But there's no story of God's love and giving Himself and coming down and what He did to create us, and not, certainly no story of the cross and the resurrection, and one day He's coming back to create a new heavens and a new earth. And it, took, it takes a powerful Savior. Paul wrote this, Colossians 1, For He, Jesus Christ, delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things. And in Him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. And someone says, praise God, He's a powerful Savior. Powerful Savior. The Bible also declares that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And so he's our Savior, our healer, our baptizer. He's our coming King as the reconciler of all things and the restorer. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come home, he has the powers. He begins to work in us. He restores our mind. He can deliver you today from distress and discouragement and even depression in the powerful name of Jesus. He can restore relationships that we thought were once dead and they'll never come alive. He is the restorer and the reconciler. He reconciles and restores a proper view of sexuality that doesn't abuse and take advantage of people but loves and is a gift that's reserved for marriage where two people in love with each other and God has a special gift for them and it's part of our human sexuality. Restore, he can restore family and self-control and He has broken down the dividing wall of race and culture and guilt and shame and He's put God's love in our hearts. Can someone say amen? Yes. That's His narrative for the world. The narrative that we hear and see continually is being written and carried out by so many who have spiritual cataracts, 
who see things and pull the levers of power to make things as they want them to be rather than as they are and what God's plan is for this world. I, uh, I'm, this, this week, I, I'd sort of given up on listening to news, um, and I work really hard at being informed. After a while, you don't know who to believe. It's like my dad used to say, one will lie and the other will swear to it. I will say this, that um, a couple months ago, it was in the news that the, the president, they had the press corps there, and they gave the press corps a scoop of ice cream, and he got two scoops of ice cream, and how terrible that was. Of all the things that's wrong, Why? Y'all have a quart of ice cream. I don't care. But I, I listen, I, there's something, hot topic of the day, and there's no hot topic of the day. It seems to me topics are resurrected, they're recycled, they're regurgitated, they're scooped up like a dog returns to its vomit, and it just keeps going on and on. And so uh, the, the subject of the day, I'll listen to MSNBC, you'll say, whoa, CNN, whoa, that's not good. Listen to Fox, whoa. And what I'm picking up is that both sides hate each other. And I don't feel good about it. It's a bad news world, but there is a Savior. There is a God that loves us who's writing a story for this world. Can someone say, praise God? He's come. He's called us home. He is a powerful Savior. And His salvation qualifies us to stand before God, the righteous judge of all the earth. One day, because of His salvation... The Bible says we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It absolutely blows my mind away. But one day, every person, every person on this earth will stand before God who is the righteous judge of all the earth. We will give an account for what we've done with Christ, what we've done with the gospel story, And our names will either be found written in the book of life or they will not be found written in the book of life. But one day, I expect expect that Jesus Christ himself, when my name is called, he's going to present me before God the Father as being saved and rescued a member of the family of God. Here he is. Someone say amen. Yes, I'm living for that day. The last thing I want to share with you is that Christ will come again to bring about a new creation. It's found in the book of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among you and they shall be his people 
and God himself will be among them. God will restore all things. He'll tabernacle, dwell among them, as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many are looking forward to that? Every tear. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write. For these words are faithful and true. Faithful to God's character and love for you and for me. True because of who the author is. The narrative, the storyline that God has written for this world is faithful and true. And you and I are the object of his love and of his salvation. And today we have the opportunity. The book of Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will answer, I'll come in. I'll come into his heart, and I'll have fellowship with him. And by an act of, a simple act, but a profound declaration, a profound change, we say, Lord, Lord, would you come into my life, Lord? Would you come into my heart, Lord? I want your story for my life to be realized. I want to come home. I want to come home to you. And the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he will be faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And we come into his family. Praise his name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. God is so incredibly good. I want to ask you two questions today. Is this, you've heard God's story for this world and for you, one of rescue, one of home, one for a future, one that is faithful and true because it's from a God that loves you. The question is this, what will you do with what God has done for you? Your response affects everything, for good or for bad. Fraternity, because we're a living soul. When Christ comes again, the freedom and joy of heaven will come to this earth. He'll make all things new. When we ask him into our hearts, God's freedom and God's joy of heaven come to our life. Praise his name.